And now, Father, Lord, I thank you for your presence here with us by your Spirit. And Lord, may your word be spoken by the Holy Spirit's power. May your word alone be received. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, some of you, uh, like I am, are old enough to know that there are pluses and minuses to getting older. One, uh, one of the minuses is the stuff that you forget, the good memories, the things that happen that you just don't want to forget, but they slip away. You know, I carry my phone because then I can take pictures when I need to remember something. It's very, it's very handy. I'm using it more and more. Uh, and also one of the pluses about getting older is the stuff you forget, um, the stuff that you would rather forget. You know, the mistakes you made, the broken relationships. Maybe, well, I had a car accident last year, and I'd like to forget that. Unfortunately, I still haven't, neither is my insurance company. They still remember also. I've had... Uh, bad times, and some that I'd like to forget are tied up with our daughter's teen years at home. Uh, you know that joke, Abraham, there was no sacrifice to take Isaac up the mountain because he was a teenager? <laughs> Sorry. We weren't about to kill Carrie, but uh, it, was, it was hard in our home. Uh, very, very tough. Carrie was, she's a wonderful woman now, grown up, uh, but those years were tough. There was lots of strife. She was very, very bright and very, very uh, argumentative. Let's just put it that way. And one of the worst days, uh, lots, the worst, most anguished time we had was an argument over whether she could go to a certain party. She was in high school. She was on the swim team, good swimmer. The party was a co-ed overnight swim team party. And uh, I was supposedly chaperoned, but I knew what that was going to be like at 2 in the morning. And, and uh, so I said no. The argument came down to whether or not I loved her. Carrie's not stupid. She said, if you love me, you, if you understood me and my life, you would let me go to this party. And I said that I did love her very much, and I understood what high school was like, and that's precisely why she couldn't go to the party. <laughs> and it's almost humorous now, I'll, I'll grant us that, but at that time there were tears, there was yelling, it was heartbreaking for me to say no, and it was heartbreaking for her not to be able to go, and she hated me for it, and she made that very clear. I don't know about you as a parent, but me as a parent, it's very hard being told by your teenager that they hate you. This is not fun. Anyway, it was maybe a decade, it was years and years later that she told me that it was actually good that she hadn't gone to that party because some bad things happened. The issue between us was the nature of love. What does a father's love look like? And I think that's what our lessons bring out this morning, the issue of what is God's love like? What is the nature of perfect love, God's love for us, his children? In the psalm today, we uh, sang, or we had read the singing, our singing of God's love and faithfulness, which the psalmist says are forever. We're going to sing of the Lord's love forever. 
His love and faithfulness go before him. His love is a dominant theme throughout the scriptures. You know this. It permeates the Christian faith. If we only know one verse, you and I, of scripture, it may be God is love, or God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love, love, love. If you ask folks, basically, that have some knowledge of Christian faith, what's the primary characteristic of God? They would say his love. Love is at the very core of God's Trinitarian being. And the Scripture tells us that the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, Jesus Christ comes into us by the Spirit, the first fruit of that is love. He enters our hearts so that we can love better and we can grow in love. But there's a problem. You can see it in our lessons today. God is love. But then what do we do with our passages like our reading from Isaiah? I thought it was interesting that Mike wasn't on. You didn't have to listen <laughs> to Isaiah. <laughs> you had it in front of you. I hope you listen to that. But, but he says, what does he say? We're going to have to hide. God's people, you, the likes of us, we're going to have to hide in the rock or in the dust to escape the terror of God's return. The end on Judgment Day to hide from his terror, to hide from his glory. How can he be a God of love and yet promise through the prophets, which he does time after time, that he's got a day coming, a great and terrible day of the Lord, the end of the age, when he's going to humble, flatten, he says, destroy, anything, anyone that stands before him, lofty and exalted, from the trees of the forest to the human being. How can he be love? I served in a parish once. We, we took on an ambitious project. We, we took on a class called The Bible in 90 Days. And we read the Bible, the whole thing, cover to cover, in 90 days. About 80 people signed up, about 30, 35 made it through the 90 days. And there was a downside to it. For many folks, it was the first time that they had read the Old Testament line by line, word by word. And you know what's in there? There's a lot of wrath in there. There is a lot of wrath. There's a lot of God's righteousness and God's destruction of whole Genocide. I mean, there's just one village, one town, one kingdom after another that are destroyed. The enemies of God's people are destroyed, and even Israel herself is carried off into exile. And some of our parishioners, as you might imagine, were kind of disturbed by that. They hadn't realized that was in there. So they would come to me afterward, and they'd say things like, well, that's not, that's the Old Testament God. <laughs> that's not the New Testament. That, that's the, that God is always smiting and death and destruction and opening the earth and swallowing people and sending plagues and snakes. That's not the New Testament God of love. And I would just have to say, well, you know what? I'm sorry, but there's only one God. He, he started it off in, Gen in Genesis, and he's coming back in Revelation, and that's the picture. That's the way it is. It's one God. And then if that's not enough, we now have in our gospel lesson this morning, isn't that your favorite gospel lesson of all time? Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. I, what are you thinking, peace? I came to bring a sword. 
we were fooling around up here ahead of time. We were thinking about having a patriotic song today. And then we got into politics and we said, well, hey, Jesus came to bring a sword. Let's do some politics this morning. <laughs> Never mind. We didn't go there. But here's Jesus. My coming, he says, will bring conflict, hatred in the closest of human relationships. Our love will be, our loved ones will be our foes. So how does that fit with a loving God, an all-inclusive, tolerant, all-forgiving God whose love we will sing of forever? And then if we're followers of Christ, you and I, the Holy Spirit was in, within us and our heart is growing in its ability to love. How does that breed conflict, enmity, strife? How does this work? Well, I want to suggest, maybe you've figured this out already, that the problem here in Scripture is the same problem Carrie and I were having 30-some years ago. It's the problem of the nature of love. What does love look like? What does the Father's love, what does God's love look like? And we all know, to a certain degree, even if you're not a believer in God, even if you're not a Christian, we're made in His image. That's what human beings are, made in His image. And so we have a little bit of that love within us, whether we know it or not, or whether we know Him or not. Then at times, we all love our children in a godlike way, the way I loved Carrie. In other words, loving her meant that I was against what would hurt her. I thought the party would hurt her, and out of love I said no, and that brought conflict. She didn't feel love, she felt hated. If a child, we've got a child under our care who's defiant and dis, uh, dishonoring to adults, then we're, and we, we know that that's not good for them in the long run, and if we're conscientious, if we have some responsibility about it, we're going to do something. We're going to discipline them for their bad behavior. Does that look like love to the child? Does it feel like peace? Are they going to welcome our, our no And if we chastise them? We may have experience with a spouse that way, heaven forbid, but say our spouse is an addict, whether it's drugs or alcohol or spending or just work, workaholism. If we love our spouse, what's the, our attitude toward that which is destroying them and destroying our relationship with them? And if our attitude is disapproval, is that going to be felt as love as we try to take away their drug of choice? God is love, and his love for us is the love of a perfect father for their, his children. I would define it this way. It's an unconditional, eternal commitment to the best interest of that person, to each of us, that we would know him and worship him and love him and obey him and so have eternity to spend with him. And he, therefore comes against whatever would hurt us, whatever would kill us. And of course, we know what that is. It's called sin. It's our self-focus, our pride, our self-reliance, our independence from him, our lawlessness, our immorality, putting anything in our lives ahead of him. And these are things we want. They're not all bad things. I mean, work is not a bad thing, is it? Earning money, that's okay, but anything that we put ahead of him, these are things that we want. I call them our comfortable sins. We all have them. Oh, I see I'm speaking to the wrong people. Uh, never mind. I have comfortable sins. I don't know about you all. 
and God doesn't like it, we're at least, admit this, that we're at least comfortable running our own lives. And he comes against that, and then we don't feel loved. And when he seeks to dissuade us, to get us out of a little bit of our selfishness, and says no to some, well, let's just say to a party we want to go to, we don't feel loved. And we respond with something like, oh, that's not the God that I worship. Have you heard that? I've heard it. That's not the God that I worship. He wouldn't deny me this pleasurable thing, this thing that I enjoy so much, this, well, this idol. <laughs> he wouldn't deny me that. And then I would say to that simply, well, you're wrong. He would deny you that because he loves you. God's love brings enmity. It brings enmity between God and me. It brings enmity. And enmity with others. You know what happens. Some of you have experienced this. Maybe many of you have. You become a Christian. You get excited about it. You want to share it. You share it with a friend, a loved one, and they look at you like you've lost your mind, and they say, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Don't, if you don't stop talking about that Jesus, if you don't shut up, I know you don't love me. And what do we say back? We would say, I do love you. And that's why I have to share this. I've found the bread. I've found life. I've found the future. I've found Jesus. And I want you there with me. And the only way to do that is for you to find Jesus. I want you to have him in your life too. How's that, how's that working for you? <laughs> Sometimes you might turn somebody around, but often not. It's not seen as love. As a human race, we tend to reject the love of God because it has limits. It has a no in it. He is love, but as human beings, self-reliant, independent, self-exalting Christians, self-exalting creatures, we don't want the love he offers that says no. The, the love that in the end is going to destroy that which stands against it. That's the end to which all creation is headed. We, we have this idea, this modernist idea in our heads that the, the world's getting better and better day by day, better and better every day in every way. No. That's not the biblical picture. The biblical picture is a degenerating race turning away from him. In the end, those that turn away are destroyed. Sorry, I don't write this stuff. I don't make it up. I just, I just need to report on what the Bible says. <laughs> he will everything, every person that exalts itself, himself, herself, whatever, whomever, in pride and self-importance has presumed to stand up before God in his presence, rejecting his love and his limits, will die. I call it the, the Sinatra Creed. Remember? Never mind. <laughs> it was a famous song, I Did It My Way. Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. 
That's what Jesus means in the gospel lesson when he says, if we find our life, we'll lose it. If that's our motto, I did it my way, if that's death. If we want life on our own terms, going to the party God said no to, choosing our way over his ways, in the end we die. They can't say no forever to the God of life and still expect to live. If we give that up, as Jesus says, lose our life for his sake, submit our wills to his, receive him, then we'll have life now and forever. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans. Did you, did you know this? I have some people, it's a surprise that baptism is baptism into his death. That's what Paul is writing here. We're baptized. We go into the water signifying our death. We die. Baptized into the death of Jesus Christ means dying to self. That's what it means. It means what he's talking about in the gospel. We join him in his death and then rise, resurrected with him, life forever in him. Die to sin and to our independence from God, and then we live forever. Baptism. It's what Isaiah says when he says, enter into the rock. Some Bibles translate into, into the, uh, into the uh, crevice, uh, into a cave is the way it's translated. It, the better word translated there is rock. And I think they translated cave or something because you can't go into a rock. Well, you can go into this rock. Jesus Christ is the rock. And we can go into Christ. We can submit ourselves to him and to his love and receive him and accept him. That is the same thing as humbling ourselves in the dust, which is another out Isaiah gives us. You can be humbled in the dust and survive the judgment. But if we stand up, proud and lofty, in the great and terrible day of the Lord, in the end, we will, we will not survive. God is love, and he loves all of us with an equal and un inexorably com a commitment to our good, our best interests, which means that he comes against whatever will, whatever will hurt us, our sin. So let's don't sing Frank Sinatra's song. <laughs> Let's enter into the rock. That's my encouragement today. Flee to Jesus Christ. Give ourselves to him. And yes, we did once, and yes, it's good forever, but it's a good thing to do it daily, to get up today and say, Lord, my life is yours. What do you want from me today? Lose our lives, die to self. Well, for the simple reason that we don't have to die later in the final day of the Lord. Pray with me, please. Lord, I God, I thank you for your word. I thank you uh, that you are so good at painting reality for us, we who see but in a glass darkly, that you open our eyes and show us the truth. Give us hearts, Lord, uh, for your love. In Christ's name, amen.